Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 49 of the Dogato Podcast, a show featuring academics, authors, artists, and people who challenge what we think and help us to grow in more empathy and compassion. In this week's episode, we're honored to learn from Lori Ferguson Wilbur about her new book entitled A Curious Faith, The Questions God Asks, We Ask, and We Wish Someone Would Ask Us. Her book explores the powerful ways that our faith and doubt can impact our understanding of God, and she invites us all to embrace curiosity in our faith journey and to get comfortable with not always finding out all the answers. In this episode, Lori talks with us about processing painful emotions and dealing with the crisis of faith. She shares how emotional pain affects our bodies. She discusses why bottling up our emotions isn't a healthy strategy for dealing with pain. She discusses what the humanity and emotions of Jesus teach us in the Bible and how the Psalms give us permission to question God. Towards the end of the podcast, she talks about what the staff of Moses teaches us and how God uses our weaknesses. Lori Ferguson Wilbert is the founder of Sayable.net and the author of Handle with Care, which is the winner of the 2021 Christianity Today Book Award. She has written for Christianity Today, Fathom Magazine, and She Reads Truth. She is currently pursuing her MA in Christian Spiritual Formation and Leadership from Friends University. Here's our conversation. Lori, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about what led you to write this book. Yeah. Um, I think it was sort of a convergence of things all sort of happening, the things that had happened in my life or uh, throughout my life that I all kind of, kind of met one another, um, and kind of met this question or this, this book. But, um, I think one thing was that I, I was really good at asking other people questions and really not good at asking myself questions. Um, or really letting other people ask me questions. Um, I would shut down, I would get cagey, I would um, sort of pivot or or just kind of give one word answers because um, I didn't want to be vulnerable. So that was, that was part of it. I think another part of the convergence was realizing, <clears throat> um, realizing that the Bible is so full of questions and we oftentimes treat the Bible as if it is solely a book of answers. And there is an answer in scripture and his name is Jesus. Um, but there are many ways to find Jesus in the pages of scripture. And I think questions are one of them. Um, and so that was a, that was a big part of it for me. And I just wanted to explore what does it look like to, to think through these questions and maybe to not offer a bunch of answers, but to, um, to sit with the questions a little bit. What helped you pivot um, from asking so many other questions to other people to start asking yourself questions? Well, um, it, it actually took some really hard conversations with some friends who various, very close friends, people who I thought of as, as sort of my closest friends who, who perpetually felt like they didn't know me. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact that I feel like I'm a pretty open book in a lot of ways, like I'm, I'm not protective of my story. I'm not a private person in that way. I do feel pretty open to talk about anything. But 
what this dynamic was happening in our friendships where they would tend to be the ones who um, I would ask a lot of questions and they would be the ones who just talked in our friendships almost completely, almost exclusively. Mm. And, and I kept thinking of myself as sort of virtuous for that. <laughs> and, um, and when a I began to, friend, a caring friend, a caring friend, thoughtful questions yeah. and helping them to process mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And meanwhile, it made them feel like they were the people with all the problems and mm. I didn't have any problems. And that just gutted me. And I realized, okay, if, if I'm going to show up in the world as a person with integrity, this needs to change. This needs to shift. So it took some hard questions or hard conversations with my closest friends where I basically said, hey, you know, this has been the trajectory of our friendships for the past 20 years. Mm. Um, and it's going to change a little bit and it's going to be painful for both of us. But I believe in our friendship and I believe that the Lord is... Um, convicting me on this issue and I believe he's going to give me what I need to to pivot I found you to be extremely vulnerable in your book and I'm curious about as you begin to make this pivot to start having more of these hard conversations questions you're asking yourself questions you're asking God what were some of the initial things that were kind of bubbling up that you really needed to start to think about? That's a great question. Um, it's scary to let yourself be seen, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's the definition of vulnerable. Like you feel when you let yourself be seen, when you let yourself sit in what can't be answered right away you feel vulnerable to attack. And and I'm not just talking about the attack of the enemy. I'm talking about the attack of people because people mm. um, don't necessarily know what to do with vulnerability. And I think that was one of the things that I felt most immediately was just vulnerable. I felt like um, maybe judged. I felt um, insufficient. Like, like I fell woefully short of what I wanted to be and the sort of picture I wanted to project. Um, I still feel that way. I'm, I think being willing to walk in vulnerability means you're going to kind of always feel that a little bit. Um, and I think, um, another thing that kind of bubbled up was the fact that I can't control outcomes. I think with, we oftentimes only want to ask questions or be asked them if we know the answer. And that's not really faith. Um, faith is really not knowing. It's really not knowing. And we can't control the outcome. And so um, it's sort of another author I really have learned a lot from is... Um, Barbara Brown Taylor, she talks in her book about learning to walk in the dark. Mm. And that's really what faith is, is learning to walk in the dark. And that's what asking these questions still does for me, is it feels like walking in the dark. Yeah, and you write that 
you know, in this book, you're putting questions that you're not seeking to like have a nice answer for them. You're like, you're really just processing and helping us, the readers, process through some of these questions and what they can help us to maybe maybe lean into God more, find trust, lean into faith. Um, but yeah, you really cover some very uh, vulnerable topics. Um, you talk about a crisis of faith, and that's certainly something that maybe you'd share with a very close friend, but that's really hard to even bring up for someone who has known you for a long time. They know you, oh, Lori, she's a strong Christian. I can always rely on her. And for you to like open up and say, I'm actually struggling right now. And you have this one line uh, that stuck with me where you talk about, um, you say, find the people who will say to you, I'm stuck. The people who confess, I feel lost. The people who say, I know that God is good in my head, but my heart feels far from him. The people who say, I feel crushed by God right now, and I'm doubting he's good. Find the people who regularly renovate their theological palace in which the unchanging God abides. I had to sit with that because that's me. Like I feel like that so often, um, but it takes a, tremendous amount of vulnerability to say those words to a friend who um, maybe has always seen you as like, oh, they're the strong Christian. They're the person who I go to. Meanwhile, you're crumbling inside and it's all faith. Like, it's like, yeah, you're, 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 you have faith, but still it doesn't mean you're not going through periods of faith crisis, doubt, feeling crushed by God. Um, you go through a traumatic season. You're wondering, where is God? Yeah, I, I just, um, those words really spoke to me when you said the line around, I know that God is good in my head. My heart feels far from him. I wonder if you can kind of talk about that. Yeah. I think first I want to say I have not done that perfectly. I have not walked in that vulnerability that I've endeavored to have all my life. I, th I think in the past, I would say seven to eight years, I've really worked hard at it, but it has been a practice. Um, and there has been heartbreak and fallout from my lack of vulnerability. Um, and which is one reason why I, I work hard to try to tell the truth now. Um, yeah, I think what are, what are we afraid of? when we when we don't want to tell the truth about what our heads believe and our hearts don't i think that's the question i want to ask um because another thing I, I say in the book is that naming is power right um it doesn't it it compartmentalizes something it, it makes it in some ways manageable not controllable necessarily but at least like we we've given it shape and we've given it flesh right and so when we are able to say what we're afraid of around a line like that i think it i i would be interested to see where that would go i guess um because i think it would go somewhere different for everyone right and um 
I think it ultimately would probably land in some kind of sense of loss, but that loss would be different for everyone. And, um, so there isn't really a pat, a pat thing to say about that or, or to someone who's, who's feeling that, or even to ourselves who are, who are walking through that. Um, there isn't really one answer. It's, it's really just a willingness to, um, I mean, it's such like an overused cliche, but sort of jump in the current and let it take us where it's going to take us. And, um, and that can be scary. And I think even just to get to that point of being vulnerable with somebody means you've already done mm-hmm. a lot of processing, which is very, very hard to do. It's much easier to not think about distressing emotions um, when we're having a crisis of faith. It's sometimes easier just to not think about it because it's like you're just hoping this season just passes and you yeah. can get get back to uh, being joyful in church. But <laughs> Right. It's like, yeah. it's like, Oh, I just, I just won't think about it. Yeah. And hopefully this passes and I can like be joyful again. Um, but sometimes those seasons last really long. And, um, yeah. do you have counsel for those like me who have trouble going there, going to those feelings that we don't want to think about, um, because they can shake us. I think if I have any counsel, it's just the counsel that I have like benefited from, which is that um, usually when I'm afraid of something, it's pointing to something God wants to heal in me. Um, So if I'm afraid of like a loss of reputation, I wonder what God wants to heal Mm. in me. Um, that, that counts the, counts my reputation above, um, my foundation in Jesus. Um, if I am afraid of, um, loss of community, I wonder, I have to ask myself, are these my real friends or is this like, is this community a, a sham? that I'm afraid that I cannot be myself with them. And so I think God wants to heal that, right? He doesn't want us to, he doesn't want us to walk in fear of man. He doesn't want us to walk afraid of losing the people who we love. He doesn't want us to, that's not God's best for us. Right. And so instead of sort of thinking of it as like this, you know, used to scrub and in a uh, voyage of the Dawn Treader, sort of scratching away his scales at himself, trying to, you know, get whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like instead of doing that, instead, what if we, we just say to the Lord, would you just heal this thing that's broken in me that, um, this sort of thing in me that is looking for approval somewhere else or looking for, security somewhere else instead of in you. And I'm not going to beat myself up for that. I'm just going to say like, would you heal it? And I'm going to come to you like a kid who needs a bandage instead of like a, you know, a adult who thinks they have to hold it all together. I don't know if that's counsel, but I would just say like, I think a life changing concept is that God 
God cares about our healing. He cares about our, he, he cares about our wholeness. And when we are believing one thing and saying another or feeling one thing and saying another, that is like disintegration, right? It's mm-hmm. coming apart and integrity is coming together. Integration is coming together. And so we want to be who we are. We want to be who we are on the outside um, to be the same person who we are on the inside. And so in order for that to happen, we need to be healed. We need to be whole. Um, and that doesn't fully happen until we are with Jesus face to face. But, um, but I think like sitting in a space where I believe God wants to heal instead of God as this like harsh judge, just waiting to slap my hand, um, I think as a, as a movement toward that. I like what you said about asking the question, like, what is God trying to teach me through this situation? Why am mm-hmm. I feeling these emotions and what is God pointing me to? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like that you said, like realizing that God cares for our wholeness. And I think one of my struggles is that, you know, you read the, and you talk about this in your book, you read the promises in scripture that God loves us. He cares for us. Um, God promises to take care of us. But then in these moments of trauma, um, emotional distress, severe pain, deaths in the family, the list goes on and on. In those moments, those verses become meaningless, right? And like we can be, and you talk about this, you have a whole chapter dedicated to anger. But that's sometimes where I go because I'm like, this isn't supposed to happen. Um, Why are you letting this happen? It's it's destroying me. It's destroying my family. It's severing relationships. And um, and so I think that's the that's the hard part. And this is something you address a ton in your book, dealing with these darkest, these dark nights of the soul where. where we truly are trying to be faithful, um, but then we feel beaten down. And then the passages in the scripture that speak to promises and God caring for us, it's like, really? I, I don't I don't see that at all. Yeah. And and this is why sometimes it's hard to even process some of these feelings because we're so angry at God, we don't feel like we can even pray to God in those moments. Yeah. Um I think I I think I talk about this in the book, but I talk about the kinds of therapy that hurts so good, you know. Mm-hmm. So things like chiropractic care or a massage or physical therapy um that are can be incredibly painful in some ways um or just even slightly painful and yet we know that they're like we know with our brains that something good is happening elsewhere. Um this just happened to me recently. I was getting a massage and, um, I have a knee injury of a, a torn meniscus that never healed properly. And, um, and it's very, it's tender to touch that knee is, and I have to be careful, you know, how I'm using it. And, and when I go and get a massage, I have to be, you know, I have to let them know, Hey, that's a tender knee. And I was getting a massage from my oldest friend, actually, actually the one the book is dedicated to, she's a massage therapist. And, um, and she knows my body. She knows it, 
you know, next to my husband, she knows it better than anyone. Um, we've been friends since we were in middle school and, um, and she was using a cupping technique on, on my body mm. and the massage and cupping can be incredibly painful. Mm. Um, the way that it works is, um, well, you, your listeners can research how it works, but it is, it can be incredibly painful. She did this thing where she set, she, she put a series of cups on my thigh and it was, I mean, it was like, I could hardly breathe through really? it. It was that painful. Wow. And while she did that, she was able to press on my knee in a way that I don't know that anyone's ever been able to touch my knee mm. since, since the injury. And I asked her why. And she said, well, your brain is paying attention to the pain in your thigh from these cups. And so it's, it's maybe shortchanging the pain in your knee. And so mm. I'm able to get in there and really work that, that, the swelling up mm. around your knee. And I thought about that later and I was like, man, it really, that's like, like so many things are, there's such a spiritual truth in there that sometimes the things that are hurting us so painfully, um, and I don't know where, you know, you land on God's sovereignty and like all those mm -hmm. things, but sometimes the things that are hurting us so painfully are there so that God is like healing something else in us that we don't even know. And we might not even know for years later mm. what he was healing in us. And I think in my life, that's been true. Like I can look back at the times of most extreme pain and darkness and even despair. And I can look back now, you know, years later and say like, I can, I know exactly what God was healing. I can look at it. I can point at it and be like, Oh, he was healing that in me. Um, just to be vulnerable with you, I was just this morning thinking about how a, a, a painful element in a friendship that I had about 12 years ago revealed to me that I, since a young child, I was a young child, I have never felt believed and, um, and how this, this issue that had happened with a friend 12 years ago that we're really still trying to work out and heal 12 years later, um, was highlighted in that moment. And I had no idea that God was going to keep sort of working that area over to the point where I am now, where I'm like, man, I know who believes me. God believes me. Mm -hmm. I know who like sees me and, and believes I have integrity. It's God. And, um, but it's taken a long time to see that. So I don't know if that kind of helps. That helps me to think about pain yeah. and painful seasons these days. Um, because I think things like, oh, it's not going to last forever or morning lasts for a night, but joy comes. <laughs> like right, those right. things just don't matter. They don't matter when you're in the midst of it. But I think that a, a really, what I find really helpful, most helpful in times of pain um are not head things and they're really not even heart things they're body things mm. and so um so yeah i don't know i hope that's helpful like it's when we say things like my head believes this but my heart doesn't believe it what we're actually saying is like my body doesn't believe it my body doesn't mm. feel safe mm -hmm. and so my 
endeavors like okay how, how do we get our bodies to a place where we feel safe and so I find body illustrations really helpful instead of like throwing bible verses or mm. systematic theology at people I, I love that I think about when I'm going through really hard times like I my body response is I have all this stress and anxiety built up and I have to go run I have to go yeah. cycle do something physical and to yeah. exhaustion. Like I can't just go like, I'm going to go on a 30 minute jog. Um, I have to like go on a 50 mile bike ride <laughs> to get for me. It, it is very much body yeah. to get myself um, physically drained. And all the, all the while I'm cycling, I'm thinking about yeah. that thing that's bothering me. Yeah. Um, but I, but I do see what you're saying about that, that connection, the mind body connection. Cause there's something very, um, by physically exhausting myself and, and then mentally thinking about that issue. I kind I'm not saying I have an answer at the end of it, yeah. but I feel like I've, I've cried. I've grieved. I've, I've let yeah. my body do what it needs to do to get some energy out. And, um, and I do feel better. Yeah. And I think for some people, um, what they need is to feel safe, you know, and so a hug might accomplish a similar thing for them or, um, yeah, I think we, ha we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we in fight or flight or freeze or fawn? What mm -hmm. are we in right now? And, and what's going to be the helpful, um, movement of our body toward, toward healing? Um, and wholeness. Yeah. I, I know like, um, so I'm going through something really, really hard. I don't want to talk about it. I don't mm -hmm. really want to, I like to bottle things up. This is why I have all this energy that pent up. I need to go on a long bike ride. Uh, my, my wife is opposite. My wife wants to talk mm -hmm. about it and move in and, and talk about what she's going through and I'm there to listen. But then sometimes if it taps into something that I'm dealing with, yeah. I want to shut down, but I'm like, I can't, I can't go there. And so that's my own problem because like she wants to talk and she's really good about just when something is bothering her, she will, she doesn't let it bottle up like I do. Yeah. She will just, she will just address it yeah. head on. I think it's much healthier. <laughs> it's a much healthier approach than me. Yeah. It can't, it, I mean, yeah, it can be. Um, I, I'm a little more like you. My husband and I are a little more like you. We tend to bottle things up for a long time. Um, we tend to be internal processors for a long time before we get to the place where we're ready to be external about it. it has its ups and downs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, um, as you are reading the Bible, mm -hmm. um, the, the passages or the people or the stories that are really spoken to you uh, when it comes to um, grieving, questioning God, um, asking hard questions, I'm, I'm just curious, like, what what are those stories? What are the, those people that really resonate with you during those times? Yeah. I don't know if you're to the chapter yet on Jesus saying to Peter, James, and John, can you wait with me? Can you be with me? Um, but that story does, because I think in that moment, we're seeing a couple of things. We're seeing the humanity of Jesus. Um, 
or seeing someone who just wanted his friends to be with him in a moment of need. Um, I think that that really resonates with me. But I also think one of the things that's comforting about that story is that sometimes the people who we think we need need some sleep. Mm. And that helps me to feel a little bit more generous toward the people who, who I perceive have failed me in my moments of need. Um, maybe they needed something different in that time and what they needed was sleep. That really comforts me. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another one that really. I know you brought up all of the Psalms mm-hmm. and just the questioning, just the open questioning. Yeah which when I was reading your chapter and how you talked about those Psalms, for me, it felt like permission, mm-hmm. right? Um, seeing these uh, people who, who love God, who mm-hmm. wrote part of our Bible, like freely asking really, really hard questions and there aren't answers to those questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every Psalm has an element of that right and um i think i when one of the one of the um sorry about the train whistle i don't know if you can hear that i like it (laughs) it's It's cool in the background (laughs) yeah um it's across the river and the river carries all the sound (laughs) down to our house um yeah it's a a psalm from the sons of Korah, and and he's saying you know he's he's speaking to his soul and his soul is answering back and so it's this question of you know why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your trust in God. It's sort of this call and response with his own soul. And I I find that so beautiful because, you know, it's like the father of the demoniac who says, I believe, help my unbelief. Or you who says, um, I believe you're good with my heart, but can't actually feel it in my, or I believe you're good in my head, but I can't feel it in my heart. Like that's the human condition, right? It's, it's to it's to want something or believe something and do something different or struggle with believing it. And um, how comforting is it that our Psalms are, are filled with, with that kind of posture. Yeah. Are there, um, as you were putting together this book, are there specific questions or chapters that you like, because I feel like, as a writer, everything you do is like you're giving birth to something. Yeah. Right. And so, but I'm wondering if like there is a chapter, a baby in there that you just, like one of your favorites. Oh, favorites. I thought you were going to say it was like one of the hardest. And I was like, yeah, that whole middle <laughs> section was so hard to write. Oh my gosh. Trying to get through that middle section was, it was a beast. My favorite. Can I look at my table of contents? Yeah, yeah, of course. I wrote it, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, I got, now, I got, now I got to ask you about the hardest. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, man, I really loved uh, what is in your hand where I talk about Moses um, and the staff in his hands when, when God asks him at the burning bush, what is in your hand? And, um, and I think because in my mind, what I say is my, in my mind's eye, I, I always see Moses with a staff. I, I see him hitting the rock and receiving water. I see him parting the Red Sea. I see him throwing his staff down and it turning into a snake. I see him, you know, holding his staff up and the Amalekites are, 
or the battle against the Amalekites are, um, happens. So there's this, this picture that we have, you know, maybe it's the Charlton Heston sort of staff in the hands yeah, yeah, right, kind of right, picture. Right. Um, and, um, but it occurred to me while I was writing that chapter, that, that staff was in his hands only because so many things had gone wrong in his life. Um, mm. he was taken away from his mother as a baby and raised in a, a kingdom as a prince and wasn't a prince. And um, when he came out among his people, he murdered someone and fled, fled to the wilderness. And, and that's where we find him. And, and it occurred to me, the staff was in his hand because so many things went wrong in his life. Mm. And um, I think sometimes when we think of the things God's going to use, we think he's going to use our strengths. We think he's going to use like the victories in our lives and the, the sort of all the beautiful things about us are going to sort of culminate in this beautiful ministry. And instead we see the proof of all the things that went wrong in Moses's life becomes sort of the picture, this tool instrument that God uses to to bring his people out of Egypt and to bring them through the Red Sea and to bring them eventually into the promised land. And again, it's just a tool. It's not, you know, it's mm -hmm. nothing. It's not like this holy thing. Um, but it, in a sense, it is a holy thing. And it, it's this thing that God is using and that's holy. And, and I think that was a powerful chapter for me to write because I, I, I began to think about all the sort of ugly things about me while I was writing it, all the mm -hmm. things that I don't like, all the things that have been really hard or hopeless or, yeah, th the things that don't commend me to others. And I I just began to think think of them as the staff in my hands. Mm. Um, what if this is the place that God uses and God, like, tenderly helps me to... Um, to see it as a, a thing of redemption. As you were talking about the staff, I was thinking about how it's interesting when, you know, he goes to see the Pharaoh and God tells him, like, if he questions you, you know, you can show him a miracle by throwing the staff down and letting it turn into a serpent. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, you know, God knows what's going to happen, that the Pharaoh will call the magicians to do the exact same thing. Exactly. Right. And it's, it's interesting because, like, God obviously could have done a greater miracle like turn the staff into <laughs> something that is just ridiculous. Right. But it's interesting that God was like, I, I'm actually going to have him do a miracle that the magicians can do too. Yeah, it's, it's, a, like, it's very it's it's like, fascinating. Yeah. It's like an ordinary thing, you know, like I think sometimes Christians, we just want to do the extraordinary thing. And I'm like, well, what if God's going to do the ordinary thing? The thing that like many other people can do and have or, the thing that's in everyone else's hands in some way too. Nothing mm -hmm. special about you. Um, but God's going to use it in a special way. Yeah. So, so now you brought up the hardest chapters. <laughs> so, so I'm really curious about, um, what, Ooh. what, yeah. Share, share with me a, a hard chapter that was mm. difficult to process. 
really it was that whole metal section that was a tough one for me. Um, I'm trying to find the chapter where I talk about being halfway through the book because that was Why Do You mm. Hide From Me, chapter 44. Oh. Um, and I was almost exactly halfway through the book when I... when I Oh, when you're actually calling it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought um, it was cool the way, the way you did that. Yeah, yeah you, I mean, would... I, I admitted that it was a tough one for me. Um, uh, and this actually, you actually quoted from, from this one earlier when you're talking about the theological palace in which the unchanging God, um, I think it's, it's a tough one. I'll tell you why it was a tough one. Um, I'm really convicted by the Lord to not tie things up with a tidy theological bow, um, in my life and in my writing. And, um, and that chapter felt particularly difficult to not try to tie up with a bow, to not try to give an answer that would be um, happy, clappy Christian, you know. And it's hard, it's it's an act of faith to leave a chapter without an answer. Um, and and really, the whole book I tried, you know, the answer is Jesus, and I worked really hard to like make that my my final answer. Um, make him my final answer. And so really the, every chapter was in, in that sense, like an act of faith. But I think that one in particular felt like, Oof, am I allowed to do this? Is this going to be helpful? Um, and ultimately decided I have to do it because sometimes God hides from us or we perceive that he's hiding from us. Sometimes we can't see God. And I think it's okay to say, why are you hiding from me? And that's not my question to answer. That's God's answer. Well, I thought it was beautiful, all the questions you constructed. And um, I like, I really loved your approach of like just helping us process these questions, especially when there's no answer that we have and you just help us guide us through that question and your thoughts on it. I thought it was very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go, I wanted to uh, read um, a quote from page 20 that you start with, um, it's by Rilke. And, um, oh yeah, you, you say that you'd opened up a greeting card and saw this quote. So I want to read this quote because I thought it was so powerful and I would love for you to uh, maybe riff on it. Um, mm-hmm. So Rilke says, be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Like locked rooms, And like books that are now written in every foreign tongue, do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And then you follow up with this this chapter talking about living the questions. And I'd love to end on that quote on how do we live in these questions where we don't have answers? I mean, this, so I'm a Christian and for me, the answer is in Jesus. Um, he has the final answer and, um, I'm going to find my yes and amen in him. And, um, but I think for many who might be reading this book, that's a struggle you know, 
to say that Jesus is the answer or to believe in Jesus or to believe he's good or any of those things. And I've been there and that's really hard. It's really hard. And I don't want to give a Jesus answer to that question. Um, and so I would just say this, living the questions is faith and we're all walking in faith in some way. Um, even the most devout atheist is walking in a kind of faith. Um, and so to me, when I, when I'm saying live the questions, and I think Rilke was saying this as well, um, it's, it's just the sort of, you've got to take a step and you've got to trust that there's ground, solid ground underneath you. And the bottom might fall out from underneath you. Um, but you've, you've got to trust that you, that to take the step, the bottom might fall out. I'm going to tell you that right now, the bottom might fall out, but you still have to take the step. And if the bottom falls out, the bottom falls out. And I believe because I'm a Christian that Jesus is going to meet you there. It's going to meet you when the bottom falls out. Um, but you still have to take the step. And sometimes you're going to take the step and there's solid ground. And that's beautiful when that happens. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes the bottom does fall out. Um, and, um, and my prayer is that that, that person would meet Jesus when the bottom has fallen out. Um, but that's how we live the questions. That's, that's what faith is. And I think I say in the book, you know, anyone who tells you differently is lying. Um, faith is not a great 401k. It is not being out of debt. It is not, um, marrying the person of your dreams or having the exact number of children you want or your children serving God in the way that you want them to, or never losing the people who are close to you. That's not faith. Faith is, faith is saying, I'm, I'm in this and I'm, I'm going to take the step and I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I'm, I'm going to take the step. And that's what living the questions is. That's beautiful. Thank you, Lori. Um, before yeah. we go, um, can you share with the listeners uh, more about you and your work and where they can learn more about you? Yeah, so you can um, learn more about me. Uh, you can do this in a couple ways. You can go on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Lori Wilbert, and it's L-O-R-E-W-I-L-B-E-R-T. My name is spelled a little strange, but um, the book is called A Curious Faith. You can buy that wherever books are sold. Uh, and then I write regularly at two different places. I write at sayable.net, S-A-Y-A-B-L-E.net, and at lauriewilbert.com, two different places. Um, yeah. Awesome. And I'll make sure to put links in the podcast show notes uh, so they can follow you on social and also know where your websites are um, and also on the blog. So, Lori, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dogato Podcast. As always, you can get the show notes, video links, and resources mentioned in this episode on my blog at mikedelgado.org. You can also get updates to new shows and get access to the full archive of past shows by following the Dogato Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you ever have suggestions for future topics or guests you want to hear from on this show, please reach out. My email is delgado at ucla.edu. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll chat more next time.